I started Passionstruck, I came up with a pretty bold statement. Um, and when I was asking people about it, uh, people thought I was sounding pretty negative, but I, I said, I want to help the world's underdog. And then they said, well, who are the world's underdogs? And I said, well, it's the battered, beaten, broken, bored of the world. Well, guess what? That's 85% of the frickin' <laughs> billion people who have jobs. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We're back here for episode 115. John Miles is with us and the title is Get Passion Struck, getting out of your own way to live the life of your dreams. John Miles is the founder of Passion Struck. He's also the host of Passion Struck podcast, and he has decades of leadership experience, coaching experience, working with individuals, business owners, business leaders to help them create more passion and purpose in everything they're doing. John is here with some very tangible and actionable ideas and how each one of you can unleash passion in your life and in your business. He's gonna talk about the power of saying yes. Here's another biggie of being intentionally uncomfortable. And he's gonna talk about, this is a cool one, the mosquito principle. You're gonna to have to listen in to learn more. This is about getting honest with yourself and getting on track to live, lead, and build your dreams not someone else's. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking, and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are thrilled to be back here today with another fascinating guest. I know it's going to be fascinating. We've got John Miles with us. I don't know John. Uh, I feel like we're neighbors because we are. Uh, I'm here in Tampa and John's right across the proverbial bridge in St. Petersburg, Florida. And John has got this, I love the name right away, the name of his company and the whole not just the company, but the whole concept is Passion Struck. He also hosts the Passion Struck podcast, which is in the top two and a half percent of podcasts globally. And John's got a simple message. You can guess it's about passion. <laughs> and Passion Struck, this mission of Passion Struck is to ignite the next generation of game-changing companies and future leaders to make a real and lasting impact on the world. Awesome. We're going to talk about vision. We're going to talk about passion. And I can't remember where I saw it, John. You may have to fill in the blanks. It's not here what in front of me. Something about you take uh, the broken, battered, bored, and ignite their lives, their leadership, their organizations, and their impact. So this is going to be for everybody who wants to be ignited. So welcome, John. Well, thank you so much, Jeff, for having me on the show, and, and Craig as well. Happy to be here. Great. Fire us up. Yeah, fire us up. <laughs> Give us a little bit of the John Miles background story. So I think one of the keys to my success in my career has been when the opportunity has presented itself, saying yes to life-changing opportunities throughout my career. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a, it's a huge thing because most people have the habit of saying, I can't. You know, I can't do this because of my beliefs. I can't do it because of my education. I can't do it because I don't have the training. I can't do it because I don't know anyone who's done it before. And what I have tried to do along the way is prepare myself um, through the actions that I take so that when those things come, I would be prepared to say yes to them and not hesitate on those decisions. Um, and I think for me, it really all got started uh, when I was in high school and I happened to have a regular guidance counselor, but there was an English teacher that a number of <laughs> the students at my high school really liked. And I went to her um, somewhere around my junior year for advice on where I should take my 
life and take my career. And I will never forget what she told me. Um, and she told me um, in no uncertain terms, I would never amount to anything and that I was uh, a failure and would always be a failure. And I can't say that Wow. from that I learned, you know, I can't say from that that I used it to spite her, but it certainly put something inside of me that instead of taking the path that I was going to take at that time, which was to follow in the footsteps of my parents and go to the University of Michigan and take that route, I decided that from that moment on, I had to put myself in discomfort. <laughs> and in, in order to do that, it really caused me to, to take the path of going to the Naval Academy um, and the journey that I've been on. So, um, so you know, that's kind of how it started, um, but we, we can con continue as the interview goes. No, it's interesting you say that. And a lot of us, I know, you know, Craig had a reaction to that as you were sharing that story. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people had that story. That person, we focused on that story in school where someone told us we could, but a lot of people have been told they couldn't. In fact, I talked to one of my mentees yesterday, was talking about his father got that same message in high school. Hmm. You're not good for college. You need to plan on going to trade school. But there was that one teacher that said, no, you can do more, orchestrated some students going to college together and getting their degree. And it was an interesting story because his mother, when he had succeeded and he'd gotten that big job and was very successful, brought him back home and took him to where that teacher who had told him he couldn't was working <laughs> and had the teacher come out because her mother, his mother was so proud of him. And he was telling me this story about how his dad comes out and the, the teacher says, like, what, John Smith? This is that John Smith with his nice new car. And it was, I think a lot of people have been driven by that person who said, you can't. There's not enough in you. Uh, and it sounds like that's true for you. Well, I, I, I knew that what she was saying wasn't true, but it also kind of woke me up to the fact that you know, if you put your mind to anything, you can accomplish it. And so that was the start of me saying yes to life's opportunities because, you know, I probably would have taken the opportunity and just gone to Michigan um, had that occurrence not happened. But it lit fire in me that, you know, no, I'm going to take a different path and I'm going to take one that means I'm constantly challenging myself. Um, and my ambitions to go where I want to go in the future. Well, they don't let dummies into the Naval Academy. So clearly there was something there, but I just can't imagine somebody actually saying, I mean, I can't imagine myself actually saying that to somebody, and especially in the role of a teacher, which is, you know, even worse, I, I think. But kudos to you for bucking the system, so to speak. Well, one thing I really liked what I heard, John, is I've heard two things already. One is this idea of saying yes, but this idea of intentionally putting yourself in discomfort. Yeah. That's not, I, I don't think that's a typical thing. Could, can you talk more about how much that impacted your path? And I'm guessing you tell people that today as well. Seek out discomfort. <laughs> that sounds so well, to the, what people say. Well, I, I say it in a different way. I, I believe, and if you look at major studies that are out there from the Brookings Institute and many others, that we, not only here in the United States, but across all Western countries, have been in a state of consistent decline in entrepreneurship and business vitality. And I believe it's because of three contagions that are facing society today. It's the contagion of the human mind, human spirit, and ego. In other words, it's mm. comfort, apathy, and showmanship. And I think those three things keep getting in the way of people pursuing you know, their full capabilities. Mm. In fact, I believe most people are only living at about 15 to 20% of what they could truly accomplish. And a recent Gallup poll and, and this thing blew me away. It was done in 2019. Um, you can search for it. 
they went out and they surveyed a billion workers from across the planet. So it was all full-time, their, their uh, survey covered all full-time workers across the globe. Wow. And they found that only 15% were happy and fulfilled by what they did. So if you look at that the opposite way, I look at it as 85% are truly unfulfilled, but what by the career that they're pursuing in life. And that was just an astonishing figure. And it was one of the main reasons that I ended up forming the Passion Struck brand. Um, and we'll get into that longer but or later. But for me, the reason a lot of people don't achieve what they're capable of achieving is because they don't put themselves in a state of discomfort. <laughs> yeah. You know, whether that's, you know, in their career trying to, to achieve and go outside of the box that they've let themselves in, because I think so many people are living what I call portfolio careers and they just go from kind of one thing to the next. And after a while, you kind of do this mindlessly. I think they do it um, in wellness and health where you're not challenging yourself to get out of the comfort of the habits that you're in. And I, I think we do it in relationships as well, uh, where, you know, we're, we're happy in the relationships we are maybe, but are we really pushing ourselves to be vulnerable as we can be mm. with each other? Because I think most people that I know are not. So to me, it's, it's always been a con constant thing in my life about, living in an existence of discomfort. And from there, I think if you look at a lot of the leaders who are the top leaders, whether it's the military, you know, uh, entrepreneurs, sports, et cetera, they exist in this discomfort state. Just look at Tom Brady, you know, who's here in Tampa Bay now, mm -hmm. and his workout regimen, his eating regimen, his lifestyle regimen, you know, I think that because he puts himself in a constant state of discomfort around those different areas, you know, he's so much overachieved what anyone ever expected that he could do. Wow. Well, now I'm, I'm going to, let's see, which way am I going to go with this? There's a couple <laughs> different ways coming to my mind right now. Let's talk about vulnerability for a minute. I want to come back to the passion side. You talked about vulnerability. No coincidences. Actually, I, I shot a video this morning about vulnerability. Greg and I are big believers in vulnerability and leadership. And I was almost blown away because I went out and I actually um, looked up the definition of vulnerable. And the only definitions that exist in the dictionaries are one that basically says exposing yourself to easily being attacked, wounded, or injured. Wow. Or damaged. Like they are, these are horrific things. Like if you read these, you say, I'm going to avoid that at all costs. <laughs> There's not even, in fact, the only definition I found that was sort of like what we're talking about in our relationships and leadership and such was being willing to be exposed to risk and exposing your weaknesses. That's in the definition. So our definitions talk about weakness and horrible wounding. <laughs> well, so we avoid it. But yeah. so talk about the ways that you see vulnerability as being essential in these in our relationships and leadership. So I think we all have fears, insecurities, obstacles, could be trauma uh, for some that plague each one of us. And through any of those, it causes us to feel stuck in some way in our life. And often because we feel stuck, we want to cover that stuck point up and we don't want others to see that weakness because we see weakness as, you know, something that could potentially hold us back instead of being a strength. And I know that was the case for me for, for many years during my career as I tried to cover up those areas like many of us do. I mean, anytime you answer that question, what's your biggest weakness? I think most people hate it or come up with a, you know, clever way to avoid it. Um, and I always thought it was kind of bullshit because we all have our weakness. I mean, if, 
I mean, one of my biggest ones is I am not the most organized person in the world. And anyone who's worked for me will attest that um, I was that big picture visionary, um, but I always did best if I had a second lieutenant who was very good at complete organization. And yeah. if you talk to some of the greatest leaders out there, whether it's Sarah Blakely or Mark Benioff or General McChrystal or whoever it may be, I guarantee you part of their success was recognizing what their weakness was and not only recognizing it, but complementing it with the people that they work with. And I think that is the same thing that we need to do in relationships. Mm -hmm. Now, the issue is it's not easy to do it because being vulnerable with someone is, is very, very difficult. Let's just face it, whether it's you know someone as close to you as your spouse or partner or your best friend. And I know over my life, I have struggled to find you know, friendships to that level where you can truly be honest with another person and share things that are bothering you and your insecurities and get feedback because, you know, most people have work friends or they might have drinking buddies or they might have people on a sports team. But I think, you know, you, when you really get down to the people you can be vulnerable with, it, it really comes down to that core three, four, five people that you surround yourself with. So that's kind of how I've, I've always viewed it. Well, it's wow. interesting you brought up Sarah Blakely because I can't remember if it was a podcast. I think it was a podcast I was listening to in the last 36 hours was talking about when Sarah Blakely was growing up, her father at, you know, at dinner during every week, maybe every day, would ask she and her brother this question, what did you fail at this week? Yeah. I thought, what a great question, because he was yeah. teaching them early on, yeah, what'd you fail at, but what'd you learn from it? And encouraging them to do things to stretch themselves so they would fail. And you look back at that, and you can easily connect the dots to see how her resilience and persistence and willing to endure a lot of failure to create, you know, a billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar enterprise is just incredible. Uh the other thing I wanted to check in with you about is um, you talked about, let's go back to passion for me. So many people talk about passion. And what was coming up as you were sharing, John, is do you talk to people about finding their passion or pursuing their passion? <laughs> and what I mean by that is a lot of people say you got to go somewhere else to be passionate. It's out there. Or is it about finding passion where they're at, or is it both? No, I just did a podcast. Um, it actually comes out next Friday, and I called it uh, Stop Applying the Governor to Your Life. <laughs> and, and, you know, I got this um, from thinking about a great friend of mine, uh, Chip, and hanging out on his farm when we were growing up. And I remember... You know, we, we would ride horses, race motorcycles, but our favorite activity was actually driving these Honda um, dune buggies that they had on the farm. But we got them when, you know, we were probably sixth grade, maybe seventh grade. And so his dad put a governor on them because he knew that if he didn't, we were going to crash these things, get hurt, et cetera. Um, and finally, when he did, that's exactly what happened. We started like racing like bats out of hell. And I remember Chip one time flipping over and over right in front of me and landing upside down between two trees. So, um, but I take that in a different way when you look at your life, because I think so many people aren't living their full capability because they're putting a governor on their life. Yep. And that governor is your mind. And yep. your mind is holding you back because when you're facing those things, such as insecurity, fear, obstacles, whatever they may be, your mind goes, I don't want to have to deal with that. Let's take you to a safety zone. Let's take you to comfort. Let's take you out of discomfort. And until you can start learning to deal with your discomfort, you know, as I said earlier, you're going to stay where you are. And so for me, to answer your question, there are so many books out there that I think are complete horseshit about finding your purpose. Um, because I think it starts by looking inside 
and figuring out, you know, what fascinates you, what gets you going, what makes you happy. Um, you know, what are those ingredients that make you feel brilliant inside? And that to me is the starting point of finding your passion. And typically, you know, what I would tell someone I was coaching is to me, it kind of starts by when you were an adolescent or even before that, you know, what were those things that you dreamed of when you were young before you had all this weight of the world on you? Yeah. Because when you go back to those, whether in my case, it was being a hockey player or, you know, I love creating, I love music, you know, there's something probably in that and the attributes or traits that you had that you still have, you've just suppressed it. So as for the brand passion struck, it's much less about finding your passion. You know, I will work with someone on that, but it's much more being the catalyst that helps, I call them the world's underdogs, take action on their ideas or aspirations. Because what happens is, even if you decide you've, you've found your passion, the biggest issue is people don't make that choice or they make it half-heartedly to pursue it. And the only way you're gonna pursue it is to take constant action by being discomfortable, stepping into your, what I call sharp edges, those things that scare you every single day and start developing a pattern of, as you guys brought up rightfully before, failing fast and failing often because through your failure, you learn. And if you're not a constant failure, you're not gonna achieve anything that you're setting out for in your life. You're not pushing the bounds, yeah. I think it's it's so good that you talk about the the issues of uh, it's our mind that's holding us back it's our beliefs it's our identity i think is a big part of that and when we when we identify as oh okay i'm i'm this person that's right here rather than i'm the person who i'm about to become we it's very difficult for us to move and you know then then we get into oh well let's just eat to be comfortable let's just watch netflix for five hours to be comfortable Let's just do the things that we're used to doing rather than pushing the bounds. Right. And you know where it starts? You pick one area and you choose to be discomfortable. You choose discomfort in that one area. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, what I do every day is, you know, I, I do high intense workouts and my friends are always asking, you know, why do you work out almost every single day? And then when people see me in the gym, they're like, why do you push yourself so hard? And it's because I want to start the day in discomfort. Because <laughs> There you go. Uh, because, you know, what progress are you making even in a workout if you're doing the same thing or you're, yeah. you're, you know, you're not giving it your all. So to me, it's my own internal signal of, you know, I'm waking myself up for the challenge of the day. Oh, so good. But let me ask you something, John. Maybe this is sort of a chicken and the egg question. You're talking about the governor and passion, the governor we put in our lives. Do you see passion as the, th the solution to help me get past my governor? Or is passion the outcome when I do the work to get past my governor and then I can connect to my passion? Well, I think it's, you've got to do both kind of in concert. You know, I think when you make the choice that you're finally going to go after this decision that you want to live at a higher capability than what you're living at today, whatever that may be. It could be you're happy in your career, but you want your relationships to get better. Or you're happy in your career, but your health needs to get better. It's whenever you make that choice, it's starting to release that governor that you've put on that aspect of your life. Because if you, you know, for me, it's, let's say, you're living at 40%, it's how do you get to 45%, then how do you get to 50, then how do you get to 60? It's because once you can make one step, I'm telling you, I've seen it so many times in the people I coach, once you make that first incremental step, you can then start the pattern and you'll realize there are other points in your life where you're putting a governor on and you might not even notice you're doing it. Yeah, I think that's where it's so helpful to have some outside perspective on what what we're doing well absolutely i i think one of the best things anyone can have is some type of coach whether that's a page paid coach or just someone 
that they can go to who will give them advice. Um, but you're you're picking the person for the right reason. You know, for me, when I was looking at mentors, I, I remember when I went to Arthur Anderson, it was the most ridiculous thing I had seen up to that point because I show up at Anderson and they had a mentor program, but they assigned me someone. Well, the person who they assigned me had nothing to do with the career path that I was going to take or shared interest or anything. So what I've always found is that I kind of go out and I pursue those who I want to be my mentor. Hmm. And typically I look at a few key ingredients. One, you know, I look at someone who's going to be my biggest critic because you, you need someone who's going to be critical of you um, because you need someone who's going to give you the brutal truth to whatever it is you want to pursue and they're not going to sugarcoat it. Um, and so often we pick people who tell us what we want to hear instead of the best coaches I've found, you know, give you support, but they, they're also very critical to you. The, the second thing I find is you want to pick someone who's your biggest cheerleader. You know, they're going to be critical to you, but when you need someone to broadcast who you are from all over the world, they're going to be the ones who stand up and do it. And the third thing is I've always picked a mentor uh, as someone who's held a position that I want to attain sometime in life because they've already been through so much of the pain and they can help you short circuit your path to getting there. Yeah. So those are three of you know the things I've always looked for. But I've been lucky enough that I've, you know, I've had coaches almost my entire life, you know, whether it was in sports. Uh, the military or or since then but i think a lot of it is because i sought them out hmm. now do you are you looking for each of those three in one person or can it be multiple coaches or m multiple mentors that you're looking for i mean if i can find it in one it's great and some of the best mentors that i've had have been all that person but sometimes you do have to get it from multiple people and sometimes, especially, um, you know, if you're an entrepreneur or if you're someone who's trying to alter their direction in life, it's good to have multiple perspectives. Yeah. So, you know, I would never say just have have one, um, you know, and a coach or a mentor could, could also be a counselor. So it could be, you know, a mental health professional who, um, you know, I've gotten some great advice over my years from them as well. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. Welcome back. John, question I have about that. In terms, you've talked about the coaches, that outside perspective, which obviously, well, I'm a coach, so I believe in that, and I have coaches. Talk about the role of self-honesty and self-awareness with it, because as you said, when you ask people what's their greatest weekend, my weakness, my experience is, is most people lie. I'm putting that in air quotes, because what they give you is the little W, weakness. It's that safe one where they feel, yeah, I can tell you that weakness, but then there's this other one that's really driving the train. It's probably the thing that creates the governor, but they do they not know it or they know it and they're afraid to share it? What have you found in terms of helping the people you work with get really honest about those pieces that need to be addressed? So, um, I happen to, to date a nurse practitioner, and through her, I've met a lot of other medical professionals, and they all laugh about uh, one question when they ask people, uh, patients who come to them, and that question is, how many drinks do you have in a week? 
And they said when they get the answer, they generally just multiply it by four to five. Wow, um, really? Because it's one of the yeah. biggest areas that people uh, lie about hmm. um, and want to keep hidden. And I think I'm just using that as an example, but I think there are many other examples that are like that that people try to hide um, because we, like I said with the governor, we like to suppress those things that cause us fear. Um, and so, you know, in my own life, you know, I, I, I'm, you can look at it as a blessing or as a curse that these things happen to people. I, I have had to live through uh, some tremendous trauma in my life, suicide trauma, hmm. you know, lost fiancing and close friends, combat trauma, physical assault trauma, childhood trauma. So one of the things that I have had to do over my life is I have had to go through treatment for um, post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and when you're doing that, what they make you deal with are the stuck points that are getting in the way of how you feel about intimacy, you know, safety, um, slash security, um, intimacy, and, and many other areas of your life. And I think until you do some of that hard work, and the only way you can do it is by looking inside yourself, you know, are you going to blame yourself? For those things that happen to you, or are you going to make the choice to choose yourself and do something about it? And I think that's mm. the biggest thing that people have to face is, you know, it's easy to sit down, sit there and complain. I mean, I did it. Um, I did it internally, but it's much harder to say, yeah, I've, I've, I've experienced this and, you know, this, this terrible things happened, but it wasn't my fault. You know, it, you know, I'm putting all this blame and conditions on myself instead of, you know, dealing with it and moving forward and using it as power for how I can help others. And I think that, you know, I'm using that as the story, but I think mo most people fail to do it. And then it hinders them like it was doing for me. It hinders you in your relationships. It hinders you in your health and wellness because you don't sleep as well and you, it causes stress, anxiety, depression. It hinders you in your career because you're not functioning because you're not at your optimal cognitive levels because of all the things I just mentioned. Hmm. So in essence, you know, for anyone who's listening to this, you're doing yourself a huge disfavor by not dealing with the shit that, that you're going through and that your mind feeds you. Yeah. Because we all have self-limiting beliefs and oftentimes they start by your social economic environment that you were brought in, brought up in your zip code, your parents, that family unit, those influences that you had early on. But to me, that's not an ending point. It's a starting point, but you've got, you've got to deal with them and realize that you can do anything. It's anything is in your power. So when you get to that point then where you know that you have to address something, but then you turn aside, that it, it essentially builds up your baggage. <laughs> you know, we talk about, oh, yeah. that, that person has baggage, right? But we also look at it as we, when we step into it and actually address it, then we can remove that and we're, it unburdens us. Is that what you're, what is that essentially what you're saying? Yeah, I, I don't care who, who you are. You're going to have baggage of some type. Yeah. If I can't imagine anyone on the planet who doesn't have baggage of some type. I mean, look at even Elon Musk. I mean, he just admitted to having Asperger's. So I have to believe throughout his life that has created a ton of baggage for him. But sure. is he sitting there feeling bad about himself? Or is he using those strengths that God gave him because of the result of his condition and doing something amazing with it. Yeah. And I think, I think that's just one example. Um, but I guarantee you there's things that Jeff Bezos have here locally. Jeff Vinnick has, um, even Tom Brady, who I mentioned has that they have to overcome on a regular basis to be who they are. Yeah. Hmm. So let, let's talk about passion a little more deeply, John. One thing yeah. that I find interesting about passion 
And I guess I'd love to hear your definition of it. I don't mean like intellectual definition, but functional, because a lot of people think passion is about rah-rah. Like they'll say, oh, that's a passionate person because they're jumping up and down literally about an issue or excitement. And I think sometimes people get coached that way too. You know, they get coached with the, the hard edge, loud screaming, you got to go do it, push through this, you know, do this or ah, passion versus the conversation that brings out that really intrinsic, authentic passion. So mm. can you talk about those differences and how it shows up in your work? Yeah, so I am unfortunately have never been built to be that rah-rah person. <laughs> Uh, and so for me, you know, if I'm giving a public talk or even a podcast, I have to really work myself up to do it because I'm inherently an introvert. Um, and so for me, the most passionate people I actually find are the, let me say this in another way. Um, a chapter of my book is on the concept that people speak with their feet. And what I find oftentimes, and I've found it throughout my career, is those people who are rah, 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 when you look at their feet, they're actually doing the opposite. And so when I coach people, I tell them that you will be judged by your actions, not your words. And so for me, really becoming passionate means instead of doing something out of your own self ego and showmanship, it's really doing something to serve someone else. Mm -hmm. And that's, to me, where I find people release their passion. Yeah. Um, now, you can have someone like Thaddeus Bullard, who a great guy can be a rah-rah guy, but I think what has brought him so much success, especially in recent years, is kind of what you don't see um, when he's doing those things. It's the small acts that he continues to do on a regular basis, um, many of which the public will never hear about. It's, you know, that person who I volunteered with at, at church who, you know, for 10 years had been running a warm weather or, a, sorry, a cold weather shelter for the homeless who never asked for any credit for it, but touched thousands of lives by doing it because his passion was to help others. Um, and you may know Debbie uh, Lundberg uh, here locally. I do. I so don't I think, know her well, but I know her. Well, I think she's got a great formula for this. You know, she's, you know, her whole thing is about kindness. And one of the, the sayings that I heard her say just this week was that, you know, when you're giving kindness to another person to get them to do something for you, mm. that's showmanship. Right. And I think... And I think that is the opposite of, of passion. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how I look at it from the functional term. It's, it's really when you're living your passion, you will find so many more people are attracted to you because yeah. it's what you're giving off to the universe. You're giving off that you're doing this not because you're, you're doing it out of ego, but you're doing it from a greater sense of wanting to help mankind. Through the gifts that you have, and that's how I would that's how I would define it. Well, I'll give you two two different scenarios in this. When I was at Lowe's, I got to work with two different uh, people. Don't know my background. I was a senior executive in Fortune 50 companies at the C level for well over a decade, and I was senior executive at Lowe's during one of our fastest growing periods of growth. And I got to work with some amazing executives. And um, I'll give you two examples. One was, at that point, the head of distribution. He had 28,000, 30,000 employees underneath him. Wow. And I would try to get out in my position at least monthly, if I could, bi-weekly, to go out and visit stores or distribution centers. And he was one of the favorite leaders I would go out with. Because you would go into a distribution center, and the Lowe's distribution centers are enormous. They're like a million and a half square feet, have thousands of employees in each one. And he was remarkable. From the second you got off the plane till you got there, or till you, till you left, he would know, I would say, 80 to 85% of every single employee 
in, in that facility. And not only did he know their name, he knew their wife's names. He knew their kids. He knew what they were active in. And it's because wow. when he was in the distribution center and on those tours, he would just start doing whatever job it was. And he would just start doing it with them. And his whole message was, you know, no one's high enough um, in this pecking order that they can't do the most important job, which is serving customers. Because, you know, our CEO used to always have this saying, cash register doesn't ring at the headquarters. It rings in the store around the website. And so, you know, he truly got that message. And then I happened to work with um, a lady who was brought in. And I remember, you know, being very excited to work with her because she had been the CIO of a, of a very large company. Had um, I thought I was going to be able to learn so much from her. And for the first uh, three or four weeks that she was at the job, she would come in at, during in the morning. She would go into her office, lock the door. She'd come out maybe to use the bathroom, go back in, and then we would never see her. Hmm. And so after a month, of not interacting with anyone, I finally got the opportunity to go and have my first conversation. And right outside her door, um, I had thousands of employees. Um, and so I said to her, you know, after we're done today, would you like to go and meet some of these people who are right outside? You know, they're all kind of dying to meet you. And she said, I have no intention of ever doing that. She goes, that's your job. Wow. She goes, my job is to manage up and to manage across, not down. And it just showed me, you yeah. know, in that one example there, that the difference, you know, it's an extreme difference, but it's the difference between how you walk with your feet. Yeah. And the response that, I'm sorry. Well, and the difference you're going to get from the employees who work for you. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, that's the difference between a leader and somebody who's just doing their job of the technical stuff. I mean, it, it, if you're not taking care of your people, what are you doing as a leader? So John, well, that's how that's how I was always trained in it. So I would have to agree with you. Yeah. So John, when you talk to people or leaders, business owners, all the different people you work with and interact with, I'm pretty sure you've heard once or 10,000 times, probably 10,000 times, some version of, um, yeah, passion is a luxury, uh, you know, or when I get this job, I could have passion or you don't understand my situation. I'm doing what I have to do. So yeah, go tell, go sell passion to somebody who's got the luxury of doing whatever they want. Number one, I'm going to guess you hear that a lot, but what, what's your response to that? And what's the message to the people listening who might be thinking that right now? Well, it's kind of interesting. So when I started Passionstruck, I came up with a pretty bold statement. Um, and when I was asking people about it, uh, people thought I was sounding pretty negative, but I, I said, I want to help the world's underdogs. And then they said, well, who are the world's underdogs? And I said, well, it's the battered, beaten, broken, and bored of the world. Well, guess what? That's 85% of the frickin' <laughs> billion people who have jobs. And when I started breaking it down, um, because when they hear it, of course you don't want to self-identify with one of those things, but isn't that, you, you know, if you, if you look at, you know, all the way back to the start of historical religion, isn't that what religion is all about as well as trying to heal all those things so that you are living a fulfilled life? So for me, uh, when I start breaking them down, let's just start with board. So sometimes I, I send this as an opening message and I send it to some of the top CEOs in the country. And they, came, they come back to me with the same response every time. I'm not any one of those criteria. Well, I have been a CEO and guess what? It is one of the loneliest jobs that are out there and many see it. CEOs that I know who have gotten to there are bored out of their minds. Um, you know, so there's a great example of someone who may be bored. You know, I mentioned people who have trauma in their life. So if you've experienced a traumatic situation, 
I'm pretty sure you're going to feel pretty beaten up inside about it. And I'm sure that that beating you have taken, and unless you've been through a lot of counseling on it, you still have, you know, stuck points as a result of it. Or you could look at the beaten aspect is most people leave their jobs. There's so many studies on it because of who they work for mm-hmm. and how many people feel beaten up by the person that they're working for or yeah. broken by the work environment that they're surrounded in where they feel like they're a slave to it. And the biggest thing that I'm trying to get people to, to realize, and it took me so long to realize it for myself, is stop making other dreams. Let me say it again. Start, stop making other people's dreams a reality. Start making your dreams a reality. Hmm. Stop being the underdog of your own life. <laughs> and to me, it comes down to where are you putting your time? Uh, because the number one thing that you hear, it's either money or time. And I think there's a huge thing of I don't have time syndrome, but it really comes down to what are you doing with your time? Because we all have the same 24 hours. And I interviewed a great guest recently, Abigail Barnes. She's in the UK. She unfortunately suffered a stroke when she was 30, 31, mm-hmm. completely changed the way she looked at the world. And she came up with this simple model that's 888. So if you look at it in 888, it's you sleep for eight hours, work for eight hours, live your life for eight hours. But what most people start saying is, what do you mean I have eight hours to live my life? First of all, I'm not getting eight hours of sleep. I'm only getting a five or six because I'm having to work 12 or 13 hours on the job and I have kids and everything else. So I'm only living my life in two or three hours. Well, mm-hmm. it's all about how do you balance that 24 hours that each of us has. And I think we've all seen or probably been in the situation where let's just take two law students um, who both graduate, let's say they both go to Jones Day, and one of them, you know, they're both working these horrendous hours, but one of them seems to be completely all right, has it all together, has other um, outlets, et cetera, and the other person's driving themselves crazy and barely existing it. It all comes down to what are you doing with your time? How are you prioritizing it? And what are you filling it up with? So, you know, I call bullshit on anyone who says they don't have time to do it. It's just putting your mind to doing it and using your time accordingly. And the number one thing that sucks people's time up is the average American, you mentioned Netflix earlier, watches five hours of TV a day. Um, So five hours is out of that eight hours that you're supposed to be living your life, um, you know, or news or unneeded chores or dilly dallying. I mean, I'm kind of being brutal here, but it's it's really all about time management and prioritizing what matters in your life. Well, I think one of the things that you talked about earlier was, you know, don't don't live somebody else's dream, live your own dream. And in the same way, I, I've kind of taken this view on television and movies. And I'm a, I'm a big consumer of those as well. I try not to do five hours a day, but uh, when I look at it, I, I came to the realization when I'm watching, you know, whether it's reality TV and I'm watching somebody else's life or I'm watching, you know, something fiction, I'm watching somebody else's life. So am I gonna watch somebody else's life or am I gonna live mine? And it's a choice, you know, and sometimes, yeah, I, I just wanna vegetate for a little bit, but. I, Ultimately, if I do that too often, I'm not going to be living the life that I really want. Well, I have a principle that I call the mosquito principle. And I, and I think at times we all need to do a mosquito audit. And what I mean by that is I think in our life, we have influences, which could be habits that we're in. It could be people we associate with. It could be activities that we do that are sucking up not only time, but the blood out of us that could be used to pursue something that could be life altering for what we really wish we could be doing. And I call them um, the invisible suffocator, the blood sucker, and the pain in the ass. And you can look <laughs> at them in one of those three criterias, but until you start facing the brutal reality of whatever it is that's going on in your life, and you start doing the mosquito audit and you start looking for those three things, 
And I promise you, it is not going to be easy because some of those influences are the things that you like to do. It could be going to the bar or it could be, um, it could be hanging out after work, you know, with a bunch of work buddies instead of getting back home and making a relationship better that's broken. It could be raising um, kids. Right. Well, well, and that's the, you know, how many people have said this? You know, I wish I could spend more time with my kids, but work is getting in the way. When the reality is for most people, um, I don't care about spending time with them because my life is my career and that's where my focus is. And when you look at it in that way, it sounds horrible and it is, but most people sugarcoat it because they're not really looking at the bigger picture and the ramifications. And I'm not just saying this stuff. I mean, I was living it. And so for me, what I'm really trying to do with Passion Struck is to help people not make some of the same damn mistakes <laughs> I did along the way. Because, um, you know, if I would have known some of this stuff earlier in my career, you know, I would have definitely done some things differently. Um, biggest one is create and live a bucket list. And your bucket list should be your life. And it's not all about, I want to go to Mount Everest and climb that. It should be challenges, life goals like that, and other things that you're constantly working on to fulfill this bucket list of aspirations that you have to live the life that you want. And so that's what I try to coach people to do. Hmm. It sounds like, John, a big part of your work is to help people. I'm going to just use your words because it's a great way to say it get past the bullshit answer to get back to the real answer and then do the work from there. You know, you talked about time with kids and I was one of those people, you know, I, I own my workaholicism and I own the fact that for a long time when my kids were young, I worked all the time. And what I told myself is it was for them. Mm. It was for my family. So I was doing it for them, but not with them. And what I now know, and I didn't know then, I didn't have the coach. The deeper truth was I was doing it for me. It was my way to escape. It was my way to feed my worthiness. It was my way to say I'm really valuable because I could outwork everybody. But man, I had a good story going. And I believe that story. I know back then, I did not think it was a lie. I now know it was a lie. So how much of your work is helping people get past that bullshit answer and i guess is there a secret sauce to helping them do that well i would say that that's a, a lot of it because we put our priorities on what society has taught us to focus on and i mean i made the same mistake i was so concerned between i was so concerned about climbing the corporate ladder um and then when you start getting to the top, you realize that all this hard work, um, you're completely into, the more money you make, the easier it is to, to chop your knees out from under you and for them to get rid of you um, to save money, you know, when the company faces a hardship. So, you know, it's, it's a brutal world out there. So why don't you start treating that brutality by facing the inner demons that you have that are going to make you become a better person overall in your life. Yeah. And I think looking back, had I focused more time outside of work and doing other things that gave me fulfillment, I would have probably, oh, it's not I would have, I, I know I would have performed better because I wouldn't have been as stressed out and I would have walked away from things a little bit more and had more time to think strategically about them inside of, instead of this constant thing that we all end up doing, which is we're so busy on focusing on what we believe is urgent, these emails, these other things that are happening, that we lose sight on what's most important. Mm. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the message that I try to get, get to them is stop living your life like a pinball machine, you know, where the pinball machine is playing you start playing and winning the game mm. of pinball in your life. Well, I, I love that one. And John, I, it, I, every, there's no coincidences. I saw a post on LinkedIn today where someone was talking about feeling, um, and I, the mosquito made me think about it because they put a little cartoon of the mosquito 
that wouldn't stop sucking the blood and was about to explode. <laughs> and they're like, why, you know, why am I feeling all this pressure will stop sucking the blood? And what hit me was so many people talk about being overwhelmed and I can get there too. And I was thinking, but how many, how often if they looked at that and said, so do your results reflect the overwhelm? In other words, you've got all this stuff going on, but are you getting the results you want? And I think most of the time the answer is no. I just got a lot of stuff going on, <laughs> right. which tells me I'm doing the wrong stuff. Yeah. Like it doesn't really matter that much. I'm doing all these things that don't ultimately matter because I'm being, I'm, I'm being played by the pinball machine and someone you, else is hitting the flippers. When you look forward 10 years and you say, okay, it's, is what I'm doing, is this really something that's going to be valuable or is this something that nobody's going to know? You know, it's like you were talking about earlier, Jeff, the, the choice of, I could spend time with my children, grow them, they do whatever they need to do, or I can work and you know I get that that feeling of satisfaction out of my work and things like that. But longer term, is anybody going to remember that that brief that you did or or whatever that was that you did at work whereas you're building memories with children? Well, of course not. You know, for, for me, some of the most uh, difficult times I, I had to give up were, um, you know, people hear me say I've been to 45, 50 countries and they're like, oh, my God, that is so great. I wish I could have done that. <laughs> well, when you're doing it every other week and it's for work, um, I don't think unless you've done it, you realize how um, how much it takes out of you, but also takes away from your family, yeah. because, you know, for me you'd spend those two weeks on the road, you'd get back. And then you're, you know, I was spending 80, 90, hundred hour weeks trying to catch up with being on the road. So it's like this never ending cycle where, you know, does some people feel like I did something good in their life? Of, of course they did. But to your point, are people going to remember that briefing I did, you know, to get this project over the line? No. I mean, that's a distant memory. Yeah and a laundry list of a thousand memories. But, you know, is your kid going to remember that you were there for every single soccer game or cross country meet or there to, to be the coach of an activity in their life? Yeah, of course they are. Yeah. Just be there. So as we come to the end here, John, I always like to come up with a sort of a closing question. And the question for you, John, is this, imagine people, listeners, they're all asking the same question. They're saying, I want more passion in my life. So many people say that I want more passion in my life. What's the, the number one thing you tell those folks and are telling them right now? The number one thing that I find people aren't doing is being present in their own life. <laughs> yeah. And the easiest way to look at this is just go out to lunch and see how many people are on their phones instead of interacting with totally. the person right in front of them. Yes. And it comes back to that whole concept I just talked about is we focus so much, especially in this all digital future of ours on what appears to be urgent instead of what's important. And what's important is, are you making a difference or the difference that you want to make in this world? Because those people who I see, you know, whether it's they're giving time to a charity or they're finding time to be a coach in their children's activities or they're helping them with homework or they're being that spouse they need to be with their partner, they're being there present in that moment. And a classmate of mine uh, said it the best uh, when I was doing a podcast uh, with him recently. And he said, you know, right now, the most important thing in my life is this podcast that I'm doing with you. Now, I could get a call, and he's an astronaut at NASA, and he goes, <laughs> NASA may have a big issue, and all of a sudden, I'm going to have to say, John, you're no longer the priority. But <laughs> the point is, you know, whatever it is you're doing, you know, that is the most important thing that you're doing. Yeah. Um, because when you're, when you're giving yourself like that, I mean, you can see the reaction that it gives to the other person um, who you're interacting with. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where your passion starts. It's giving off that energy that you have within 
for that thing that you want to accomplish and inspiring others. And that's why I don't think you have to be rah-rah. You just have to be real um, so that people believe that, uh, you know, you're doing things for the right reasons and not for selfish goals. Yeah. I love it, John. Love it. Love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for what you shared. We always want to have our guests have the opportunity to promote anything going on for you. So what is that for you or for Passion Strong? Well, if you're not uh, familiar with the brand, I've recently had three great interviews in a row. And the way our show works is uh, I do a session every Tuesday and Friday. On Tuesday, it's an interview. And Friday, I give an inspirational message. You heard me talk about some of them here on this show, whether it was Mosquito Auditors, et cetera. But in the past three weeks, I had Dave Snowden on the show, who is a very well-known um, international speaker who gets paid about $150,000 to do a keynote. He's only ever done three podcasts. Mine was one of them. Um, <laughs> I, would, I would tell you to go out there and listen to it because he is controversial, but he's one of the smartest human beings I've ever met. And then I did an interview with uh, Navy SEAL. He's won two bronze stars and then became not only an astronaut, but the chief astronaut at NASA, Chris Cassidy. Wow. Um, and I can tell you, he is one of the most humble, great people I've ever met. I was, I've known him since I was 18 and I was doing push-ups and goose shit next to him. And I can tell you, he hasn't changed in 30 plus years. He's still the same humble person. Um, and his is great because he talks about what we just discussed being in the moment in your life and how it's served him. And then the last one was a podcast I did with Vice Admiral um, Ted Carter, who top gun pilot, captain of the hockey team when he was at the Naval Academy, longest tenured superintendent, currently the president of Nebraska. And he gives great advice on why it's so important to learn some life lessons early in your career because it's paid off for him so many times over when he's applied them in his 38 years. And those are, are like the tip of the iceberg. So uh, Passion Struck Podcast is the brand. And I would just encourage you, you don't even have to watch me, just look at those three gentlemen and the other episodes we've got coming up. Fantastic, John. And what is the best way for people to connect with you and Passion Struck? So probably the easiest way is on Instagram. You can find me at John R. Miles. Uh, you can find the, the podcast on Instagram at Passion Struck Podcast. Our YouTube channel is John R. Miles and passionstruck.com is our company website where you can find you know, information on the brand, how to get in touch with me, a coach if you need one, uh, and all our episodes are uploaded there. And any podcast channel has it. Um, and we've actually, since uh, you probably saw my bio, have moved up to, from 2.5 to the top 1.5% wow. in popularity. Wonderful. You actually help people go from passion stuck to passion struck, huh? <laughs> I love that. Maybe that should be my, uh, <laughs> my tagline. Well, John, we oh. thank you. And we always wrap up with one of our signature questions. The question I'd like to ask you is, you've already given us a lot of wisdom. Uh, I'm going to ask you the question about dinner. So I want you to imagine you have a chance to have dinner with someone living. Who do you want to have dinner with? And what's the one question you're going to ask them? Someone who is living. Um, I would like to have dinner with General Petraeus. I have met General McChrystal, and I would like to say what it was like walk into Afghanistan and to follow in his footsteps and what was the first action that you took. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you, John. Thank you for being here, for sharing all your ideas and uh, perspectives for passion. And most importantly, thank you for the work you do in the world. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's always an honor to be on one of these shows. Thank you for having me as a guest. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called 
can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.